If you crave technology that leads, if you appreciate design that inspires, if you want driving dynamics that excite, meet the one. The remarkable BMW 1 Series, featuring front and rear parking sensors, cruise control, fully digital display with navigation and real-time traffic information, along with BMW's latest voice control intelligent personal assistant, all a standard. Meet the one with your own exclusive video consultation. Book yours today at bmw.ie. Welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post's political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent. Hi, and I'm Rob Parsons. I'm the Yorkshire Post's political editor. Um, and today I'm going to be speaking with Amanda Milling, who is the Conservative Party co-chair. I've got to say co-chair because it is a job share. Um, and Rob, what are you going to be doing? Um, yes, I'm going to be talking to Molly Williams, who is the local democracy reporter for Sheffield, and she'll be telling me a bit about the political scene in the Steel City. It's a really interesting time, isn't it? And it's a really interesting time to be talking to Amanda Milling, because uh, at the Conservative Party conference, which has just happened, we heard that she would uh, she was announcing a new headquarters in Leeds. Um, well, it was on the front page of um, Saturday's Yorkshire Post, wasn't it, Rob? <laughs> It was, yes, Lead, leading the pack a few hours before uh, Amanda Milling announced it herself. So it is, uh, yeah, a Yorkshire Post exclusive. <laughs> really exciting. But um, we're going to be talking about that a bit. But it's really um, interesting because this is the first time for a while that the Conservatives have had a kind of HQ up north. It's not it's not going to be their only one. There's still going to be some staff in London, but it really kind of shows... I don't know, I guess that they think they've got this strength in what Amanda Milling is now calling the blue wall, the former red wall. Is that is that kind of your reading of it as well? Yeah, I think so. We've had quite a lot of reaction to this story, actually, uh, this week. And we have we, we did have a uh, a reader who, who emailed in to point out that uh, actually the Conservatives having a headquarters in Leeds is 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 not new. And uh, way back in the, the 19th century, uh, there was an office in Park Row in the city centre. And, and in fact, uh, the Conservatives had an office um, in Leeds um for quite a while which only closed in the mid 1990s and was uh, subsequently demolished which i think is uh, interesting and i guess it shows the way that the conservatives electoral fortunes have come and gone uh, in the north and it's only now in 2019 2020 that they they feel that they're strong enough and have a strong enough uh, presence in northern england to justify uh, having a having a base up here the, the, the other thing that was we, we, has been quite interesting that we've uh, had is that anti-Brexit protest groups have already uh, made it known that they're going to be uh, targeting the Leeds headquarters for uh, for their protests when it uh, opens. Obviously, it, for groups in places like Liverpool and Manchester, it's a lot easier for them to get to Leeds, even with the uh, uh, not so great state of our uh, trains than it is for them to go all the way down to London. So uh, from a, a journalist point of view, I think having a Conservative HQ in, in Leeds is going to be uh, uh, pr- pretty good, pretty good stuff. Yeah, I mean, Labour's reaction was to say the North shrugs, but um, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so let's hear from Amanda now, and then we can hear from Rob in a bit. Hi Amanda, it's really, really good to have you on. Hi Jerry. how are you? 
Yes, I'm really good. Thank you. I mean, it's a bit dreary outside. It's really turned to autumn now, hasn't it? The summer seems to be gone. Most definitely. It does feel it does feel a lot like conference weather at the moment. You certainly <laughs> feel the change coming out of uh, the summer into the conference season. It does. I remember in um, Manchester last year getting absolutely soaked to my skin through oh, about five layers because it was cold as well. But of course, none of that to uh, contend with this year as we'll all well, be in the comfort of our own living rooms. <laughs> indeed. And actually, I didn't make it to conference last year because uh... this time last year I was a deputy chief whip. And if you um... remember, the house was sitting during yes, our conference so I was actually in in Westminster trying to keep the show on the road down down in the house oh well fingers crossed for next year then in that case well, absolutely <laughs> but it's you know whilst you know whilst I'd love everyone to be coming together for conference in Birmingham this year obviously we, we can't be holding a physical conference so we've got this we've had this brilliant virtual conference absolutely absolutely we're going to get on to that in a little while but I mean, let's let's start off talking a bit about you, Amanda. So when, when was it that you became co-party chairman? So I was appointed co-chairman back in February. It feels ah, like so a lifetime ago. Quiet since then. You've had an easy run, haven't you? Uh, it's been a really <laughs> challenging few months because if you think back to February, as co-chairman, one of the things I was really keen to do and committed to doing was getting out and around the, about and around the country. Mm. And in particular, going to visit those blue wall seats that we gained in the general election back in December. The blue wall, I say, by the way, rather than the red wall seats. They're, <laughs> they're firmly blue now. Um, but then within six weeks, we were in, into lockdown. So I had to try and adapt to being co-chairman working from home. In fact, I find myself quite surprised that I was basically transmitting from my living room to, to conducting lots of these Zoom calls. Um, I have to say, I've been quite pleased to... You know, since lockdown has eased, being able to swap Zoom for Zooming around. So I've been back out on the road, back out visiting all these seats that we gained in December. Yeah, I mean, you've been up in Yorkshire a bit as well. I've seen some socially distanced photos of you with with some of our MPs. I suppose um, for, for listeners that maybe aren't quite so in the world of Westminster like we are, could you just tell us a bit about what the job is? What is the job of the party chairman? So the part, I would say that the co-chairman role is so varied. It's one of the most varied jobs in government, I would say, because my job is really to kind of lead the, um, the Conservative Party organisation. And that's at so many different levels. It's at the professional level in terms of the, all the kind of fantastic people we have working for us. The voluntary party, all those members and activists around the country donors and also then the parliamentary party too so there's a lot of kind of leading all of those different um, parts of the organization clearly campaigning is a really big part of the job uh, unfortunately earlier in this year we had to postpone the local elections because those for the first few months I would have typically been out on the campaign trail mm-hmm. but obviously had to delay the elections to next May so we've got a bumper crop of elections next May across the country and so as lockdown has eased, been doing some, some campaigning, COVID safe, getting some delivered leaflets out uh, around the country. Uh, and also the, another key part of my job has been to get out on the ground and kind of meet um, residents, businesses, members and activists. 
as I say, it's been hugely frustrating for a few months to be kind of not be able to actually get out and about, but it's been brilliant to be back on the road. My first visit back in February, though, was to Yorkshire. It was down to South Yorkshire and Sheffield. It was great. I remember that. Yeah, I was very frustrated because usually I would be able to come along and uh, and have a chat and see that that kind of thing, but just not possible in these coronavirus times at the moment. I'm sure we'll get an opportunity to though and have a cup of coffee, won't we? Yes, absolutely. And I look forward to it because, you know, I am out and about across the country as far as I can be at the moment to kind of continue um, meeting the people and hearing the views of people on the ground. Because it's always fantastic from my point of view to get out of the Westminster bubble. I should say that in my kind of career before Parliament, I worked in market research and conducted focus groups. So my job was all about going out and talking to people and listening to people and and gathering up their views and feeding it in. So actually this job feels like I'm building on some of those skills and some of those experiences from my pre-parliamentary life. That's really interesting about the market research, actually, because we often talk about, you know, polls and focus groups and, and kind of how that impacts the decisions that are made is that a big part of you know policy making and what finding out what people think and just doing it I guess I mean it sounds simple I'm sure it's more complex than that so there's always you know lots of kind of different types of research being undertaken but from my point of view you know going out on the ground listening to people enables me to feed in you know what people's views on the ground are from actually talking to people in their local high street in the local shops um and so yeah it's been a fantastic experience to be able to actually get out of the the bubble and get talking to people and find out their views yeah and this this probably feeds in to be honest to something you mentioned uh just a minute ago and something we're keen to talk about and it's those blue wall former red wall whatever you want to call it seats i mean one of your roles, I think, when we've spoken before, before we hit record, we were laughing, weren't we, about how the last time I spoke to you, it was like you were in the back of a car and it was all <laughs> a bit uh, dodgy signal-wise, but we're better today. Um, but it's all about holding on to those, isn't it? And I suppose finding out what is happening on the ground is key to that. Yes, and so there's been, you know, that's a, the key part of you know, my role is looking forward to 2024 and how we do hold on to, to those seats which we won, those fantastic wins back in uh, December last year. And so that my tour has been a key part of that because it's actually a really great way of understanding you know, the, um, the MPs, kind of what, um, that, what support they've got, what they need, and what the issues are on the ground. And, and so that's been a kind of key part of that work because... You know, everything we do in the next few years will be about, you know, holding on to those seats and supporting those colleagues. So what are they telling you when you've been, you know, whether it's in, in Sheffield or I think you've been to Wakefield as well, haven't you? I think I saw it's uh, what, what are people telling you on the ground? On the ground, I think one of the things which has really struck me has been in the kind of the, the feedback on the response to the coronavirus um, pandemic and the measures that the government have had to implement to keep businesses going to keep, to support livelihoods kind of support jobs and that's been one of the things about which I picked up throughout the last few months was on the road um, and it's been fantastic as well to see these new MPs actually in their seats and that's one of the bits of feedback that I have been picking up they've been making a real impact 
people, you know, they've got offices often in very high profile locations on high streets. They've been dealing with enormous amount of casework and people are really noticing that. And they're, they're really making a mark. And often people say to me that they've really noticed the benefits of having a Conservative MP who's really standing up for them in Parliament and didn't necessarily feel that their predecessors, when the, the Labour MPs before them, had necessarily been on the ground and also um, been d- dealing with the issues on their behalf. Oh, I see. I see. I mean, I think I think you're right. I think of a lot, a lot of the new Conservative MPs we're seeing... You know, I can only speak for Yorkshire, but they do seem to be listening to their constituents and kind of getting getting their voices heard in Parliament. I think there's been some reports that they're bringing back, I guess, a want from their constituencies to have a bit of this. Um, I think it was called in one of the papers that I read today, a so-called war on wokery. So things like... Um, unconscious bias training or rename of institutions is that is that something you're looking at so you know freedom of speech is such an important uh, you know value of the conservative party and it's it's really important that we don't airbrush our history and we stand up for the principles of the uk and i think that's one of the messages that they're that you know they feel very strongly about and actually is a really important part of being a conservative and is that is that something that you know that your new Blue Wall MPs are feeding back to you that they're hearing from constituents. This is certainly some, one of the things that they're certainly campaigning hard and kind of talking to us about when when they are kind of reporting back in terms of the values on the ground. And I should also say that um, my my own seat is a, a brick in the Blue Wall in many ways too. It was um, I was selected back in 2014. It was a marginal seat. It's in Staffordshire. Uh, but I always argue that it is one of the first blue bricks in the blue wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I suppose that that maybe shows what you're saying there. This has been a bit of a long-term coming thing. We we often speak about, you know, the red wall for falling in December just gone, but it sounds like things have been changing for a while. I suppose I'm interested to think to to know what you what you think changed what has it been that's made these seats turn away from Labour and towards towards you guys towards Tories well there's a whole host of factors that we would see but um, I can certainly report from my own seat that there Mm. were you know this was a seat which they felt kind of left behind and this is one of the things that the government's really committed to doing in terms of really kind of the leveling up agenda that we talk about Um, Brexit played a part because um my seat in, in Staffordshire was 69% leave, and they were so frustrated last year when we just had what we, I best describe as the psychodrama in, in Westminster. And then they also did not feel that the Labour Party and the Labour Party values which Corbyn and co were representing were the values that, values that they recognised. You know, these people are incredibly patriotic, and they believe in the armed forces. And these were things that they did not feel the Labour Party represented. And they also felt the Labour Party was doing everything they could to frustrate Brexit. Mm. And I'm going to come back to that levelling up point that you made there, because that's clearly something we're very interested in. But we have seen Labour under Keir Starmer, I think, try and reverse some of those things. You know, you mentioned patriotism there. He's kind of made a big deal about being proud of his country. But I, that's really kind of 
classic conservative territory, isn't it? Are you ready to kind of fight him on that? I think there's one thing about saying something and there's quite another in terms of actually being genuinely believing it and actually demonstrating these values too. And I think this is one of the things which we've seen with Sir Keir and the Labour Party over recent weeks is is the fact that they will say one thing. Um, They will... For instance, say they'll work constructively with the government on on matters such as, you know, coronavirus, but then say behave in a completely different way. For instance, last week when Kate Green said that she wanted to make an opportunity opportunity out of a good crisis, Mm -hmm. which really the mask slipped well and truly in that comment. Absolutely. And it's something that we've seen at PMQs as well, that the Prime Minister's been saying that Labour are flip-flopping on the issue. Um, Let's let's talk about levelling up, because this was a this was a key part of the election as well, wasn't it? Promising that things would get better. Absolutely. And we're fully committed to that levelling up agenda. And, you know, we, we, you can see that in, in many of the things that we've been doing in recent months, despite coronavirus. So if you look at our manifesto and talking about increasing police numbers, more money for the NHS, we legislated for the first time on that earlier in the year more money for schools, more doctors and nurses, but then also about infrastructure too, in order to kind of get that investment in in all parts of the country, particularly in the Midlands and the North. And you're still going ahead with this, despite the massive spending on coronavirus. Is that right? You're still committed to that? Absolutely. Delivering on our manifesto commitments is, and these promises is also is so important. And it will also be so important in terms of us recovering from coronavirus and the impact that that's had absolutely and you had a really exciting well very exciting for us very exciting for you announcement at conference last week didn't you about having a headquarters in in Leeds which I know is really exciting for you because you used to work in Leeds yes I was absolutely delighted to be able to make the announcement that we are going to have a headquarters in Leeds and as you say this is particularly exciting for for myself uh, because I used to live in Leeds so uh, for 15 years, I lived in Lancashire. Some of your listeners may not like to hear that bit, um, <laughs> but um, was, was working in Leeds. So first of all, I worked in um, Holly Park Mills in Pudsey, and then mm-hmm. we moved offices to the Pinnacle Building, which was at that point, I think, was West Riding House, um, in the centre of Leeds, where it's brilliant to be um, you know, having this um, headquarters in Leeds, I think it's a real demonstration of our commitment to the blue wall seats and, you know, that we're there for good. This is part of a a long-term plan for the party. Absolutely. Now, let's just listen to what you said when you made the announcement last weekend. Since becoming co-chairman of the party, I have visited all 58 seats that we gained from the opposition in December. I've seen and heard firsthand how happy these people are to have a Conservative MP on the Green Benches and Boris Johnson in number 10. I've seen how effective these new MPs are, how hard they're fighting for their constituents by giving them a chance to have their voices heard for the first time in years. People put their faith in us and now discovering what it's like to have an MP committed to them. And we're determined to show our commitment to the blue wall seats. And that's why I'm absolutely thrilled to announce that CCHQ will be opening a headquarters in Leeds. This new headquarters will provide the party with a base at the heart of the blue wall, because we're in it for the long haul. The best way we can deliver for the people is to be there. 
conference, let me assure, reassure you, though, our determination to deliver does not stop with these new steeds that we won in the Midlands and North. So that is really good news. I mean, tell me, what, 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 how are you going to split your time then? Are you going to be spending some time in Leeds, some time in London, or what's, what's the plan? So it looks as though I'm going to be very busy travelling around <laughs> lots of places. I'm getting quite used to travelling around a lot. Um, so, spend a lot of time on LNER trains, will you? Yes. <laughs> I spent quite a lot of time on those trains in recent months on my visits to Yorkshire, which has been great to be back, actually. Um, so, yeah, obviously, when um, I need to be, when the house is sitting, that I have to be in Westminster. But as much time as I can, I will be spending um, in, in the office in Leeds, too. So I'll be splitting my time and then also not forgetting my constituency in Staffordshire. No, of course. Lots of lots of time um, on the road for you. I mean, this is this has been um, spoken about for quite a long time. So we're really pleased to to see it happening as well. I mean, what? What does this kind of say? You spoke a bit in your speech there at conference. You spoke a bit just now about the commitment and the long term. But is this a precursor to maybe moving other things out of London? Because there's been a lot of talk about maybe like the House of Lords during the restoration. Or what do you think? Should more you know institutions move out of London in your view? So I obviously want to see kind of more of our kind of institutions kind of across the country because that is part of leveling up but I, I'm not going to make decisions for other organizations I'm the <laughs> co-chairman of the conservative party <laughs> but I think it but we're demonstrating our part commitment as a party to the, the north of England and it's, it's making the kind of really part of the fabric of our party and also our country yeah no, absolutely another part of this that I just want to touch on before I let you go because I know you're very busy um is devolution and we talk a lot on this podcast about devolution we've got deals signed in west yorkshire we've got deals signed in south yorkshire we're hoping for them in north and east i mean as we as we understand it there's a bit of a delay with the um white paper but is devolution something the government is still committed to the manifest in the manifesto as i say we committed to leveling up and, and actually part of that is about devolving more money resources and control away from Westminster. And so you can see from the, the West Yorkshire mayoralty elections, which we'll have next year, that we are fully committed to, to devolution. But one of the kind of key things that with this is we don't want to see kind of top-down restructuring. It needs to be locally led. So I hope that the North Yorkshire um, leaders will be at the forefront of that exciting agenda and, and putting forward their case to, and their ask to the government. Absolutely. And have you um have you managed to pick anyone for your West Yorkshire pick yet? Because I think a few weeks ago when we did a deep dive, Labour had a list of oh, maybe 10 people who have already said they want to stand for them. But we couldn't find anyone from the Conservatives. Is it is it quality over quantity? So the people are coming forward who are expressing an interest in this. And obviously we will be doing our selections in due course. I, I have I'm sure I have more news on that for you um, very soon. <laughs> well, you've got my number. You know where I am. Give us a call when you know. Um, so we're moving people north. We're moving headquarters north, and we're, you know, giving out devolution deals and spending a lot of time in the north and in Yorkshire. You must be confident that that's going to be enough to hold on to these blue wall seats. We're doing everything we can to hold on to those blue wall seats, and that is my kind of number one priority in terms of everything that I, I do. Um, you know, in the coming weeks and months and years, of course, as we go into uh, 2024. Absolutely. I suppose the only other thing to ask, Amanda, is we're recording this, you know, a few days out from 
from conference and exhausted everyone will be but what what is the main message that you wanted people to take away from conference this year when you were you know involved in all the planning well I think first of all from those who attended I hope that they you know it's all about a kind of very different format because obviously it's been virtual this year but I think the kind of key thing is that you know, whilst we, we have we've got the you know issues around kind of coronavirus, but as we recover, we're still firmly committed to our manifesto and the promises that we made and kind of building back better. And there's just some of those examples. It's about building more houses, those new hospitals and fixing social care, but also critically um, building more infrastructure. Absolutely. Well, hopefully next year we'll be back drinking warm white wine and um doing karaoke in a in a hotel but until then until then thank you so much for coming on Amanda it's lovely to speak to you thank you very much so this is the part of pod zone country where we dig into what's going on around Yorkshire politics with the help of journalists from the local democracy reporter service This week, we're going down the M1 from West Yorkshire to the steel city of Sheffield, where Molly Williams is our guide to what's got local politicians talking. So, Molly, how how are things? I'm good, thanks, Rob. Um, How are you? Good. Yeah, not too too bad, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm getting there. Um, So you're going to take us through the five things you need to know about Sheffield politics. And the first is one that might not have occurred to a lot of people, but is just about the actual logistics of covering politics as a local journalist when you used to be able to go along to town hall meetings but now uh most of the time you you can't how has that actually been for you yeah a strange one really I mean everyone's everyone's sort of world's changed during a pandemic and the same same goes for town halls um I covered the last uh public face-to-face meeting in March uh, and this was just before lockdown so everything felt really strange not really sure what the sort of pandemic was going to mean um and then a week later everything moved online um and every meeting has been virtual since then um and it's come with a few challenges yeah so um I guess everyone's probably had a bit of a taste for um what it's like to have to do things over zoom and things over video and you do get a sort of glimpse into people's sort of a little window into people's personal life um but also um you can also have these crazy backgrounds. So we've had people, the councillors, logging on and they're sat in the middle of a road or they're sat in a forest with the northern lights above or they're sat in the middle of a waterfall, which looks quite strange. Um, yeah, I think we do, I do, I think myself and um, my local democracy reporter, uh, Sheffield colleague Lucy Ashton would agree that we um we do miss meetings in person. It's definitely not as good as the real thing, and um, especially with with full council because we usually have huge protests outside and then protests inside the chamber as well, and people with maybe bright banners and props, and it's quite um it's just good, and it's the only time of the month where everyone is in the same room, so we do miss that. But yeah, I think overall the town hall has adapted quite well yeah and have there been any has Sheffield Council been able to still sort of make the decisions it needs to make uh, while operating virtually or have there had to be things that they've had to do a bit differently purely because they can't physically meet meet in person yeah there have been quite a few um, decisions that have made with emergency Covid powers which have 
um, sort of not gone down so well because obviously opposition always want to have the chance to scrutinise things. Um, for example, there was um, I think sixteen point two million pounds, or up to sixteen point two million pounds, was given to the places for people leisure and Sheffield City Trust, um, sort of help reopen their venues because after COVID, um, and that came through as an emergency COVID nineteen decision, and the opposition weren't happy because they didn't get the chance to scrutinise if this massive amount of money was the best use of taxpayers money yeah absolutely um now i know one major issue with the pandemic is what it's meant for well-known leisure venues and places that people would normally go and that's particularly the case in sheffield with the renowned ponds forge swimming pool and and, and leisure complex which i've been to a couple of times it's a an amazing place but what what's the latest there yeah so um so ponds forge was the what basically the only uh, council uh, sort of owned leisure venue that didn't reopen in August or all the others. So it's run by Sheffield City Trust um, and the council funds them. Uh, and they decided to reopen most of their leisure venues across the city, um, apart from Ponds Forge. And Ponds Forge is this huge 30 year old venue that's got such a massive legacy and there's been sort of like olympians produced from there at every games and um yeah and so when when the decision uh was announced that it wouldn't reopen caused a lot of devastation heartbreak for people that you know not only you know thousands of people that go there every day and they get a lot of sort of well-being benefits from it but also people that run the businesses and rely on it for their livelihoods so some of these are training for the Olympics next year and their sort of whole lives are wrapped around in it so they um and this is a really great example of people power and even in time of Covid when people can't physically necessarily get together they all managed to rally around really quickly and they put together a business case that said can you please reopen it even just for athletes um because there was um the estimated time that could early reopen uh, in the sort of best case scenario was 20, 21 in April. And the club said we just won't survive till then. And without the clubs, what is Ponds Forge? Um, so anyway, um, so they, 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 they rallied around and um, they got the support of, you know, loads of people in Sheffield and further afield. And also all of the MPs in Sheffield got behind it and sort of lobbied the council and they did change their minds, so it's reopening in a couple of weeks, which is great news. And not just for the clubs, but for the public as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've swum at Ponds Forge a couple of times, and it's, uh, I mean, it's kind of a small point, really, but it's just uh, great to be able to swim in such an enormous pool. Like, there's not many places uh, where you can swim in a whole 50-metre pool, and it's quite a different experience to uh, the sort of leisure centres that you get mostly around Yorkshire. So uh, I think people in Sheffield will, will welcome the reopening of that with uh, with open arms. Um, yeah. So we're um, another topic that you, you've you, you've uh, suggested is um, we're, we're three years on from the, the Grenfell Tower disaster in London, but the ramifications of that elsewhere in the country are still being felt. So so what's happening in, in Sheffield with, with Hanover Tower? Yeah. Um, so in 2017 obviously following the 
the Grenfell disaster, there were these new uh, fire safety tests introduced. And um, so out of all of Sheffield Council's 24 tower blocks, Hanover was the only one to fail. And the um, government lab tests revealed that it had no flame retardant properties. And essentially all these, like, I think hundreds of people were put at risk at Hanover Tower for a period of about five years. Um, so the, that cladding came down pretty much immediately. But then questions were also asked about why it was allowed to be put on, who made this, this decision, how did we sort of end up here. The cabinet member at the time, Jane Dunn, ordered an investigation to be launched. And I think people were sort of expecting this would be maybe a few months of looking into all of the records and finding out what went wrong. But it just went on and on and on. It was like uh, another year went by and then another year went by and then we got told it was going to be 95% complete or something. And then it was going to be released next month. It's going to be released next month. It's going to, it's just went on for ages and it's three years of waiting and three years where these residents have said they felt betrayed they felt uh, some paranoid and there was sort of conspiracy theories floating around about why is this report not come out and just they just said that they felt like they lost all trust in the council but it finally came out um a few weeks ago there were still key questions left unanswered um because of sort of poor record keeping and some of the information went missing so it's difficult but talking to the residents they say they just want to move on from it now. Uh, the local ward councillors there who've sort of supported the residents throughout it have called for compensation and obviously lessons to be learnt and uh, for the appropriate officers to be disciplined. But obviously some of these officers have moved on now. Uh, but So the residents just say they just want to move on and they actually want some money put into the uh, children's play area um so it's like so future generations can enjoy it and they can learn to sort of just enjoy their home again after everything they've been through yeah and do they feel safe themselves in the in the tower like have improvements been made to make it safer yeah so um so they have it has been replaced with safer cladding now and they do feel safe and one of the residents told me that they have they've checked it themselves like they've gone to the extent of you know, trying out these prop- these materials now to make sure they're safe. And they do feel safe. And they do say, you know, we can dwell on all of this that's happened. You know, we could have, this could have happened, that could have happened. But we do feel safe now and they, they just want to move on from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like in Westminster or any anywhere else in, in in the country in Sheffield politics there's there's always a lot of attention on who's in charge and how long are they going to be there for and, and you know when they do leave who might replace them and I, I see that in Sheffield that's no uh, no exception and there's um, potential changes to both the leader's office and the chief executive's office what what's going on with that? So um, Julie Dore, after about a decade as leader and I think 20 years as a councillor, um, finally decided that she wanted to um, retire uh, this year. But obviously we didn't have any elections and everything with COVID kicked off. Um, so she just said, uh, so I think at the time she actually said, my future is so far removed from the forefront of my mind that doesn't exist in it because there's just so much going on with COVID. So she decided to um, stay on as leader and basically try and see the city through this 
period of uncertainty. Um, and she's still leader now. Um, yeah. And um, the other sort of big change in leadership is the chief executive um, is changing roles. Um, John Mothersall uh, had the position for 11 years and retired last year. And now Kate Josephs um, is going to take on the position in January next year. And a lot of people are really excited about this because uh, she's got a lot of national government experience. She's worked under the Obama administration and she's worked with prime ministers, but she's also got roots in South Yorkshire. So um, so a lot of people are really excited about it. I think it's going to be really positive. Um, and I hope that hopefully she'll bring sort of the passion for the area, but also a sort of fresh national perspective. I think a lot of people always say that Sheffield doesn't, shout about itself enough it doesn't sort of see its, its itself as necessarily a, a sort of big player that hopefully Kate will be able to give it a a bit of a wider perspective yeah that would be interesting to see what happens with that um so your, your final topic uh is, is uh, two words that I think strikes fear into the the heart of a lot of uh local councillors and uh, decision makers the, the local plan obviously is the uh, the council setting out its uh, vision for what's going to happen with planning and development for the for the coming years i know in other parts of yorkshire in york and calderdale the, the the delays to that being put in place have been caused quite a lot of consternation what, what's the shape of things in sheffield at the moment yeah it, like you say it does <laughs> strike fear in some people's hearts because i mean it's just it's been so many years of talking about this so many years of um, what's happening with the local plan when's the local plan going out and it comes up in meetings a lot councillors will constantly come back round to well if we had the local plan we could have more control over what happens and then people are concerned that developers in the meantime can sort of you know well the word free reign has been banded about quite a bit and so it's been 11 years since it was last updated and this new one is set to come in in 2023 and then it will set developments until 2038 and there's currently a consultation going on right now so if you're listening and you're in Sheffield make sure you get online and and have your say but um but yeah it's a really important um piece of work that will it has a lot of challenges you know we've got um as everywhere there's a housing crisis we need to find out where we're gonna build homes and um where shops are going to go and you know also make sure all these developments are sustainable for the future because we have you know issues of climate change and carbon neutral targets to hit um yeah it's a big piece of work that's finally looks like it's it's um going to come into action eventually Excellent. Well, I hope if, uh, if 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 we talk again in 2023, when this should have come into place, we're not still talking about it not having happened yet, because yes. uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it is a pretty vital vital piece of work. Well, Molly, thank you so much for uh, taking us through what's going on in 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 Sheffield. I hope we can uh, we can speak again uh, in in a few weeks and see how some of these issues have progressed. So uh, I've been Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post's political editor, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much for listening to Podzone Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I've been Jerry Scott and you heard from Rob Parsons earlier and we are so grateful for you listening. 
If you could take some time to leave us a review, to subscribe, and to tell your friends, that would be great. You can find us on all your normal podcasting apps, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Music now as well. And we'll be back next week. This weekend at Augusta, it's the Masters. And with 50% off a Now Sports membership, you can catch every, 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 and every. Watch all four days of the Masters live with 50% off a Now Sports membership for three months, bringing you all 11 Sky Sports channels. Join in at nowtv.com. 18 plus, streamed via internet, offer ends 2nd of May. Standard pricing after three months.